if you're using those Bibles. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 31, we'll be looking at. In the book, uh, Simple Church, the authors write, one of the coolest toys for children is Mr. Potato Head. And Mr. Potato Head has holes all over his body. And uh, he comes with all these great parts that uh, you get to put into the holes to put Mr. Potato Head together. And um, if you do it right, when you're done, Mr. Potato Head looks human, almost. Almost human. But, you know, kids are creative, and um, most children decide to put the body parts of Mr. Potato Head in all kinds of other crazy places. An arm will go where the nose goes. The eyes will be placed where the feet belong. The nose will be attached to the side of poor Mr. Potato Head's head. And they, they write in simple church that sadly many churches look like discombobulated Mr. Potato Heads. Everything is badly mixed up. The parts of the body are not aligned as they should be. Confusion abounds. And while it's funny on the toy, it is not funny for churches. Scripture refers to the church as Mr. Potato Head. Well, not exactly, but close. Scripture refers to the church as the body of Christ. When the body of Christ is working right, it's beautiful to behold. All the parts are in their proper places. They are functioning in the right way. And they realize they are part of the same one body. When the body is not united, it is not a pretty picture. Imagine the confusion if the right eye looks up and the left eye looks down. Imagine the discomfort if the right arm refuses to partner with the left arm. Imagine the perplexity if your feet decide not to operate with the rest of your body. When the local body of Christ is not united in the same direction, the body is ineffective. When one part of the body refuses to function, there is disarray. When one part of the body wants to be a separate body, there is division. The world watches and is confused. Well, this kind of trouble, which is described in in that book, was exactly what the Apostle Paul was addressing in the letter that he wrote to the Corinthians, which we're looking at this morning. And in our passage this morning, Paul addresses two problems that the church in Corinth uh, had related to how they function as the body of Christ. The one was a, a unity problem. That the body of Christ is supposed to be one body. It's supposed to function as a unit. And yet this wasn't happening in Corinth. Instead, there was discord and disarray, disunity. You you can read about this in chapter 1, where they're divided over which leader or Christian personality they're willing to follow. One follows Paul, one follows Peter, one follows Apollos. You can also read about it in chapter 11, where they're also divided over money and status. Rich against poor, masters against slaves. And this second division is, is going to be relevant to us today in, in chapter 11, uh, chapter 12, I'm sorry. It's described in chapter 11 where we learned that, that the Corinthians, when they got together as a church, they, they met in a home, they, they had a meal, and during that meal they celebrated communion. That's the way it was often done in the early church. But the problem was that, that the wealthier folks the more powerful folks were able to get off work when they wanted and and they were showing up earlier and and they were starting to party. 
And by the time the poorer people or the slaves were able to finally get off work, there was no food left and the party was over. And so not only were, were these later folks left hungry, but they were humiliated having had rubbed in their faces that they were second-class citizens. And so when Paul hears about this, he is incensed. And he says in chapter 11, verse 20, So then, when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper you eat. For when you're eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? And so in a couple of accounts, the, the um, Corinthians are having serious unity problems. Second, though, they're also having diversity problems. They're supposed to be like a body with, with many different parts, many different spiritual gifts that God has, has, has given them. But, but instead, they're all trying to have and to exercise the same spiritual gift. And Paul's going to address this in chapter 14. And since uh, we'll be looking at that next week, I'm not going to read it all now. But basically, the problem was with speaking in tongues. Um, everyone in Corinth wanted to speak in tongues. And they were showing off. They were trying to outdo each other with how spiritual they were because they could speak in tongues. And so they were ignoring many of the other spiritual gifts. They had a diversity problem. And so back in our passage now, Paul is going to address these two problems, the unity problem, the diversity problem, drawing on this metaphor of how the church is like a human body, the body of Jesus Christ. This is a perfect metaphor because the image of a body addresses both the unity issue and the diversity issue. Like a body, God wants his people to experience both close and loving unity and also wonderful variety and diversity. Verse 12 of our passage, chapter 12. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all of its parts form one body, so it is with Christ. And here probably, Paul probably means, so it is with Christ's body. Christ's body, Christ's people are, are one body, though they're made up of many diverse parts. Sort of like Mr. Potato Head. And so in our passage, Paul applies this metaphor of, of the body to the two problems the Corinthians are facing. First, in verses 15 to 20 of our passage, Paul addresses the problem that the Corinthians have with lacking diversity. Instead of exhibiting the full variety of the spiritual gifts God has given them, they're all trying to be the same thing. They're all outdoing each other at, at, at one gift, at speaking in tongues. And so Paul points out the foolishness of this in verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? If you're all trying to be one part of the body, Paul is saying, then the body is missing out on all of the other functions, the other parts it needs to function, right? If everyone in the church is trying to exercise the same spiritual gift, you're not a body, you're a monstrosity. Second, in, in verses 21 to 26, Paul addresses the problem the Corinthians have with disunity. Especially the problem that, that instead of coming together around Christ and valuing each other equally, they're evaluating those who have money and status and they're despising those who have little. And so Paul writes, verse 21, 
the eye, which is high up in the body, right, cannot say to the hand down there, I don't need you. And the head, which is right at the top of the body, tending to control everything, cannot say to the feet way down there, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body which seem to be weaker, like maybe the internal organs, are actually indispensable. And the parts that we think of as less honorable, like, I don't know, maybe our saggy belly or our hairy back, we treat with special honor by dressing them up. And the parts that are unpresentable, our private parts, we treat with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. And then listen to this as Paul now applies this to the body of Christ. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it. Did you hear that? When, when God puts Christ's body together, he gives greater honor to the parts that lack it. And, and that's what we've been seeing over these past few months as we've been looking at Luke's gospel up into Christmas. Jesus says that the last are the first. He says that if you want to be great, you must become the servant of all. He says that in God's kingdom, the ones who lack honor and status are given special honor. The rejected, the despised, the poor, the powerless, the little and the least are raised up and given a high place among God's people. Why? Paul continues in verse 25, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Do you see what Paul is saying? He, he's telling the rich people in Corinth, the slaves, those, those poor people you're despising, they're not they over there. No, they are part of you. They're part of the same body as you are. If they hurt, then the body hurts, which means you hurt. They may seem weak, like, like your liver or your pancreas, but you need them more than you know. They may seem unpresentable. Maybe they don't bathe enough or dress as nice as you do. So you should dress them up. Give them special honor, just like you do the unpresentable parts of your own body. Why? Because God has put you all, with all of your variety and diversity, together now as one unified body. You're supposed to be together and to work together. You are part of the same body. After all, God is a God of love who, who calls his people to live in unity, to care for one another, to be one and to function together. And yet God is not a God of uniformity. No, God is a God of incredible diversity, right? Just look out the window. You look at the wildflowers in, in the summer in a meadow or, or the, the the uh, clouds in the blue sky or, or the faces in a crowd or the snowflakes. And, and no two are the same. There's beautiful variety all around us. And when God puts together his church, he's putting together that same incredible variety. Rich, poor, sophisticated, simple, poets and data heads, lives of the party and and quiet wallflowers, bulls in the china shop and timid shrinking violets, teachers, encouragers, helpers, singers, on and on it goes. Wonderful and necessary diversity. 
Well, okay, so that was the church in Corinth. Those were their problems and how God inspired the Apostle Paul to, to address them in our passage. But how do we apply this to us today? What are the problems that, that we face today as God's people with unity and diversity that God would want to speak to us about through this passage? Well, I can think of three. Maybe you can think of others. We'll talk about in the discussion group afterwards. <clears throat> Let's get started with these three. The first is denom- denominationalism. Not that it's necessarily wrong to have denominations, but, but what I'm talking about is a denominational spirit when we think that we're better than others and um, we can't work with others or, or we're critical of others because we're better than them. How many hundreds of denominations do we have now in America? We divide up um, by our beliefs. We divide up by how we think church government should be structured. We uh, divide up by whether certain spiritual gifts are allowed or encouraged. We have white churches and black churches. We have Latino churches and Asian churches. Some churches tend to be only Democrats. And, and some of those folks won't be caught dead in, in another church, which tends to be only Republicans. Some churches are full of 20-something hipsters, all wearing flannel, right, and listening to loud music. While other churches have nobody under 60, and they never sing a song written since 1960. There are teaching churches where there's an hour-long, meaty sermon on Sunday, and everyone comes with their notebooks. And then there are hospital churches for the wounded, and, and every Sunday is a, is a therapy session, and there are dozens of care and recovery groups to attend during the week. There are evangelism churches where every sermon, no matter what passage the pastor says it's on, it's really on John 3.16 plus an altar call. And, and nobody's a good Christian unless they can tell two stories of how they shared their faith the past week. It, it, it's like... It's like um, one church has an awful lot of eyeballs and not very many legs or, or feet. And, and another church is, is just the opposite. And, and if they're not careful, they're no longer bodies. They're monstrosities instead. Now, I realize that, that no local church can be all things to all people. And, and that some churches may be called by God to specialize in, in one area. But, but then those churches have to find a way to to allow for diversity and, and to embrace and work together with other churches that are different from them. And, and so how do we treat those churches or denominations who are very different from us? Do we compete with them? Do we criticize them? Do we look down on them? Do we ignore them and pretend they're not there? I can tell you I've been a part of a, a couple denominations and, and one was really big on learning theology. And they regularly like to make fun of Pentecostals and Charismatics. And, and I, I was a part of another denomination, and they were really proud of being conservative. And, and they never had anything good to say about anyone who was more liberal than they were. And, and my problem was that I had good friends who were Pentecostals. <laughs> and, and I had friends who were really godly, but, but I knew they were a little bit too liberal for the folks in the second denomination to have a stomach for. And so this criticizing graded on me, and finally I had to start speaking up and say, cut it out, those are my brothers and sisters you're talking about. You know, also we've, we've had people leave this church because um, in their opinion we're not liberal enough on this or that issue to be a good Christian or we're not conservative enough. 
Um, and so they've gone off to find other churches which believed what they believed. And some of them maybe had good reasons for doing that. Uh, but in some cases, their attitude was, I don't want to be around Christians who offend me because they don't believe what I believe. Um, or I need to leave this church because if I stay, I'm guilty by association because this church is guilty. Um, well, I've got news for them and for us. And that is that, that we can't get away from Christians who disagree with us and whose beliefs offend us. We can't get away from them. We, we can change churches, but the people that we left behind are still our brothers and sisters. We're still stuck in the same wider body of Christ with them. And surrounding ourselves with people just like us and pretending that the other people aren't there or don't matter won't change the fact that we're all part of a body of Christ that's, that's diverse and, and imperfect and, and that we're called to be one and we're called to love one another. All right, second way that I think this passage applies to us today. And that's the problem of individualism. If the first problem is that Mr. Potato Head is all noses over here, and the other potato head over here is all ears, then this problem is just that the church isn't a potato head at all. It's just an assortment of parts lying around. Paul says that as Christians, we're all one body made of many parts. And I think it's very, very hard to be an American and really believe that. Because from the day we're born in America, we have it drummed into us that we are autonomous individuals. And if we become a Christian, we assume we remain an individual. I have a personal conversion experience and I start a personal relationship with Jesus. And it would be a good idea to find a church to plug into to nurture that personal relationship. But even as a Christian, ultimately, I think it's still about me as an individual and my personal salvation and my personal walk with God. And so I can choose this church or I can choose that church or I can go to TV church or no church at all. And when I come to church, I, I come as an individual. I get involved where I want. I help out where I want. But at the end of the day... I'm weaving church into my personal story instead of letting God weave me into his church's story. So when it comes to making big life decisions, I, I make them individually, without input from the body usually, based on what's best for me, not what's best for the body. I might choose to change jobs. I might choose to date or get married to a certain person. I might choose to buy a house or a car or make significant financial investments without any input from the church body or, or, or much thought as to how it might affect the church body. Right? Now, if the idea of submitting your private life or your private choices to other people seems scary or like an invasion of your privacy and your freedom... It just proves how individualistic we really are. We don't think of ourselves really as part of a body, which God has put together and joined us into. We don't think of ourselves as just an eye or a leg that can't function on our own, but, but that there's a body which absolutely needs us to function. No, we figure church can get by without us and, and they'll have to because it's not about them. It's about me and my life and my faith. 
I look out for myself and you look out for yourself. And so we're not really a body. We're, we're just individuals making our ways in the world and we collect together on a Sunday morning. I know as Americans that seems so normal to us that, that it's hard to realize how foreign and strange that would seem to Paul and his picture of the church. But here's the thing. According to God's word, we are a body. God has made us a body. And when we fail to live that way, we're denying and failing to be what we are and what God does, has designed us to be. All right, well, let's move on to the third problem we face today. It's the church as one big mouth. People like me are the mouth, the main mouth anyway. We've got some, some other mouths that I share the stage with who uh, read or pray or lead singing. And we need some hands behind the scenes to make coffee, to straighten the chairs, to hand out the bulletins. But really, it's all about the mouth in some churches. And so we pay the mouth a salary to make sure the mouth does a good job of doing most of the talking. And everyone else, the hands, the feet, the noses, the eyes, are just to sit there quietly and pretend their ears, whether they are or not. <laughs> and somehow in the Western church, we've made this situation, this aspect of church, to be the main and central component of what we think church is. And so we say we attend church or we, we go to church. And what we mean is not that we gather as a body of Christ in community to have a meal and to, to all use our gifts to minister to one another and to reach out together. No, we mean that we come together to sit quietly and listen to the mouth. Because that's what we consider to be church. And if you want to hang around afterwards for chit-chat or to, to attend a class or to listen to a, another mouth in that class... Um, or to join a small group during the week, then those are extra options, which we encourage you to do, but we realize half the people won't. Um, but the main thing is to be here Sunday and to listen to the mouth, because that's what church is really about. Again, Paul would be aghast. That's not at all his conception of what it means to be a church. All right, those are three problems, I think, this passage sheds light, light on. So how do we move beyond these problems? What does this passage have to say that, that might point us toward solutions? Well, three things, I think. Um, and these don't line up with the last three problems, so save you the trouble of trying to figure out how they do. But I think each in their own way, they, this passage points us toward solutions through these things. First is some good news. God is at work. God is at work putting together a real body. A body full of wonderful diversity and freedom, and yet a body that really has the potential to function as a unity, as one body, to be God's hands and feet, to accomplish what God is trying to accomplish in the world. And God has invited you and me to be a part of this body. That's what God is at work doing, despite the ways that we may fail to work along with him. And so second, if God has called you to be among us as part of this body, then we need you. We need you. We need you to get into community, to get into relationship. This body can't be all that God wants it to be unless you are a part of it. Because God has given you a gift. 
He's given you some ability, something to contribute that's unique and important. And only you can provide it. Because God has only given it to you. Maybe you're the nose. Maybe you're the hand. Maybe you're the liver. It doesn't matter. We need you. We can't function fully or properly without you. Every part of the body is necessary. There are no appendixes in the body of Christ. And and so we can't be the body that, that God means for us to be without you. It's not all about the mouth. It's about all of us finding our places, being involved in lots of creative and organic ways, together being a body. We need you in our lives. And and if you feel different from everyone else here, like you don't quite fit in, like your background is different or your Christian perspective is different, then especially we need you. (laughs) Because you provide the diversity that we lack. Save us from being a monstrosity. (laughs) From being too many eyes or too many noses. We need the unique gift that you bring to be the diverse body God is making. Third, finally, we have to rethink the role of leadership. Paul does go on finally to get around to leaders in verses 27 to 31. Apostles, prophets, teachers, he mentions. And he lists them first, second, third. And most commentators, those I've read at least, say that this first, second, third does suggest their relative importance or necessity in helping the body to function. Because, um, or rather, notice um, though that, that Paul doesn't mention these leaders until the whole rest of the body is sorted out, until Mr. Potato Head is put together. Then he mentions the leaders. I think that's because the danger is always that leaders become the big mouths or the big heads who take over and they crowd out the body of Christ as if all the other parts weren't important. But in Christ's body, leaders dare not do that. We can't take over other people's roles for them. That's why I have to be careful as a pastor not to do too much. Because I don't want to get in the way of or undermine or devalue all of your gifts and ministries. So what is the role of leadership then? Well, it's to help the body be the body. It's to provide the direction, the equipping, the the coordination. Not to replace the other gifts, but, but to help them function more effectively and fruitfully together. So what's your gift? What's your gift? Are you, are you discovering and sharing what you've been given? Well, the best way to figure out your gift, if you don't know it, is, is to just try stuff. Just try stuff. Get to know some people. Hang out with some people and start pitching in in different ways. Uh, try to bless people. Try to serve people. H- however you, you can think of. Until someone says, hey, I was really blessed when you did that. Thank you. And once they say that, you begin to have an idea what your gift is. Let me close with a story. Fritz Kreisler was a world-famous violinist in the first half of the 20th century. And he traveled the world giving concerts. One time on one of his trips, he discovered an exquisite violin. And it was so valuable that he didn't have the money to buy it right then. 
But um, he set off and he raised the money. And, and he returned, and, and when he got back, the seller said, I'm sorry, in the meantime, it's been sold to a collector. And Chrysler made his way to, to the new owner's home who had bought this violin, and he offered to buy it from him. And the, the collector said, this violin has become my prized possession, and there's no way that I'm selling it. And, and keenly disappointed, Chrysler was, was about to leave when, when he had an idea. He, he, he turned and he said to the, the collector, could I play that instrument just just one more time before it's consigned to silence. And uh, permission was granted, and, and the great virtuoso filled the room with such heart-moving music that the, the collector's emotions were deeply stirred. And he said, I have no right to keep that to myself. It's yours, Mr. Chrysler. Take it out into the world and let it be heard. You are that violin. Jesus is the violinist. Will you let him play?